Well, welcome, everybody. Walking in the light, First John and the path to living deeply in Christ. Get a Bible for our Sunday morning teaching time. We started last Sunday looking at the subject, the Holy Spirit, the life inside. And the verse I was focusing on is 1 John 4.13. 1 John 4.13, where John says, by this we know, those are very important words, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. How do you know, John? Well, because... He has given us of his spirit, capital S. And so we looked at two truths last week, two points. First, that a Christian is someone who has been born of the spirit. This is not something you just sort of self-proclaim, self-confess. You can't make yourself a Christian. You don't get it by joining a church or being baptized or signing a card. The Holy Spirit regenerates. The Holy Spirit comes into the life, the life of God in the soul. So, so that the life is organic. It's not mechanical. It's organic life inside. And the second thing we looked at is that this work of the Holy Spirit is a knowable experience. By this, we know, John says, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So it's, it's a definite work of the Holy Spirit. It's a knowable experience. And so today I want to start with point number three. How can I know when the Holy Spirit is at work in my life? That seems to be a very fundamental and important question. How can I know when the Holy Spirit is at work in my life? And I'm not professing that this is an exhaustive list or that these are the only things, but they seem important to me. Let me out line what I think are some of the at least initial signs of God's grace activated by the Holy Spirit in the human heart, some evidences of the Spirit's presence. So this is 3A. Question. Are you finding a growing interest in the things of your soul and the matters of eternity? Paul talks a very interesting phrase uh, in Philippians 3.19 where Paul talks about people who have their minds set on earthly things. Their minds set on earthly things. Of course, we all think about earthly things and we all do earthly things. I mean, we live here, we work here, we play here and it requires a certain amount of attention. So everybody thinks about earthly things. But that's not what Paul's driving at. The key word in that sentence is that word set. Their minds are set on earthly things. He means means they can't get above those things. That's as high as their thinking goes. That's where they're anchored. They are are glued to, remember 1 John 2.18, they're glued to the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride and possessions. That's where they live and breathe and they go nowhere else. That's the meaning, the meaning of a life set on earthly things. They have no time for spiritual concerns. They're always tired when it comes to church. They're bored when they read the Bible. Services are too long. Spiritual concerns make them sleepy. They're always busy with other things when God wants to deal with their soul. 
They're dominated by the flesh. They're dominated by the material. They're dominated by the immediate. And so it's a good way to test our hearts. Is your biggest concern what's happening to the dollar? Are you more interested in the latest developments at Microsoft or Apple than the incarnation? Can you find endless fascination in video games but can't memorize a psalm? Do you think more about your investments than the Sermon on the Mount? See, when the Holy Spirit is working in your life, you find another set of thoughts just bubbling up to the surface of your mind. You think about how short life is. You think about heaven, hell, reward, judgment. Do you think about the need to make time count for Christ? Do you turn to your Bible with a sense of anticipation that God wants to speak to your heart? Do you hunger to know him more, his ways? Now, I know those things fluctuate in all of us. I get it. My point is, do your thoughts ever get pulled there? Or are you just, like Paul said, is your heart just set on earthly things and it goes nowhere else? Test number two. So B. Do you find a growing sense of sin in your own heart? I guess what I mean is, do you find a greater sensitivity towards sin? Maybe I need to explain that a little bit. I don't just mean, you know, do you catch yourself doing things you wish you didn't? That's universal. Atheists feel that. No, I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about a sense that somehow I'm, I'm not just letting myself down I'm not just failing to live up to my potential, but that somehow I'm grieving God. I'm displeasing his loving heart. Do you find yourself living each day with an awareness that you're more than the animals who live by instinct? Do do you sense an, an upward pulling into righteousness? That, that you're not just living your life, but you're building it before God. That it's not just for your satisfaction, but somehow for God's glory. Do you find yourself, here, do you find yourself increasingly an uncomfortable fit with the surrounding culture because you know God is going in a different direction? That's just crucial, a crucial test of the Spirit's presence. C. Do you have a growing sense of the battle of natures in your own heart? It's related to the last point, but a little bit different. A growing sense of the battle of natures, plural, in your own heart. I think you should. I think you should feel that. So as the new nature of the Holy Spirit is fed and exercised, it will will naturally push its way into previously... uh, uncharted regions of your soul. Living things always make themselves manifest. That's just the way it is. And so it is with the life of God in the human heart. Look at these famous words from Paul, where he says this, the the desires of the flesh, one, are against the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, two. And the desires of the Spirit 
are against the flesh. Notice, sorry, it's such a mess. Against, against, there's this going on. He says it, for these are, look at, opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The unconverted man knows nothing of that battle. He, he, may, he may sense a failure to live up to the upbringing that he has or some standard he has set for himself or herself, but he ultimately feels he has failed only himself, maybe his peers, maybe his parents. His concerns go no higher than that. So, so Paul says the Christian senses another power at work inside his own being. It's like, a, it's like an alien power. Like a, like a baby kicking at the walls of its mother's womb. Paul says God works on the inside of our lives. That's in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So there's that part of it. For... It is God who works in you, works in you. That's what Paul's talking about with those two natures, both to will and to work his good pleasure. God working in you. You become aware of another presence. It's operating. It's living. It works against the downward pull of sin and self. You you sense that pull. You sense that conflict. You become aware that there's more than just you involved here. Well, all this talk about another power, Pastor Don, I don't know. Sounds kind of spooky. Sounds kind of far out. I don't, I just don't think I can relate to that. Yeah, you can. You can. In ways you might not even think about. In fact, it might surprise you to know that the Bible tells us every person experiences far more than he or she realizes being worked on by another power. You see, the Christian is not the only one. The Christian is not the only one who is influenced by a power beyond his own. I am struck all the time with these powerful words by the Apostle Paul, and he's not He's not talking about a Christian experience, though he writes to Christians. He's talking about when they weren't Christians. Look at Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you were, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Note this verb, following. You're not leading, you're following. Following the course of this world. Here it is again. Following, that's twice, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work. See, in the Philippians text, Paul talked about God being at work. Well, this isn't God. This is the prince of the power of the air, a spirit. He's at work in the sons of disobedience. Note that repeated use of that verb following. Everybody follows someone. Nobody leads Paul seems to feel the need to remind the church that there are no spiritual freelancers. I suppose he knows how quickly we forget this. All people, before their conversion, were under the domination of, quote, the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Maybe you're not yet a Christian and you're watching this. Perhaps you're afraid of giving your life over to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you wonder whether to submit to his call and open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Of course, that's up to you. But don't make the mistake of thinking you are free and independent if you don't come to Christ. Presently, without Jesus at all, you are still mastered, ruled. You're still following You're held in bondage by the prince of the power of the air. You're still a follower. Well, I don't sense that at all, Don. Well, of course you don't. That's because the Bible says you're just like a blind man who has never seen one shred of light since birth, has no concept that he's in the dark. But Paul says when Jesus comes, and for the very first time light shafts down into the soul then, then you know the conflict, the glorious battle, the new life. That's what we're talking about. Crowding, pushing, fighting against the old. You feel the power of freedom, the power of grace, power of the Spirit crowding out that enemy rule. That's a sure sign of his presence. I took quite a bit of time with that. It just seems important. D. Are you drawn to Jesus in confession, repentance, Love and worship. We've already looked at this from John. John, 1 John 3, 23, and then 4, 2, and 3. Look at these verses. And this is the commandment that we, here it is, believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. By this, by this we know the Spirit of God. Okay, that's what we're talking about, recognizing the Spirit's presence. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh, we looked at that a few weeks ago, is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That covers every world religion that doesn't admit to the incarnation, not just Jesus existing as a prophet or a teacher or whatever. Jesus come in the flesh, the incarnation. Every religion that doesn't stress that, that's the spirit of Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is already in the world. Next week, next Sunday, we're going to study 4.15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. The point under this this thought is, is that people don't naturally, on their own, Love Jesus as Redeemer and Lord. Oh, all sorts of people love his teaching. Love the Sermon on the Mount, the Golden Rule. All sorts of people love his miracles now and then. All sorts of people respect his example. Great teacher, great prophet, great leader. Taught love and peace. But people do not naturally honor him as Redeemer and the Lord sent from heaven, not unless the Spirit draws them. In fact, I'll show you the natural response to this idea of Jesus come in the flesh as Redeemer and Lord. It's in 1 John three nineteen to 21. We're almost finished. This is the judgment. So this, this, is, this is the measuring stick. This is what's going to matter ultimately right here. 
John says. The light has come into the world. This is John's gospel. And people, see this? They loved the darkness rather instead of the light. Why? Well, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. This light, that's Jesus, by the way, hates him and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. So John says, here's here's the rule. People run from the saving rule of Jesus until they yield to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps them to see glory in Jesus, helps them to see their own sin and glory in Jesus. Here's another clue to the Holy Spirit's drawing work. He he draws people specifically to Jesus come in the flesh, incarnation, sinless life, death on the cross, resurrection, that part of Jesus. The Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. Let me close just making this central point. John presses for authenticity in this verse. I I can't just pronounce myself a Christian. I can't sign up like I become a conservative or a liberal or a Costco member. No. There There must come a yielding of the entire heart, mind, will to the Spirit. God is willing to save whoever comes to him through Christ. Come as you are, but he won't half save anyone. He saves completely, holistically, specifically, not marginally, not loosely. He honors the work of his son to have its fully intended impact on my heart. He is always a potent, drastic redeemer. It's a mighty grace. I love Lucy and Peter's conversation in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as they describe Aslan, who is a picture of Christ. He's a good lion, but he's not a tame lion. Think about these signs of the Holy Spirit and just rejoice in the mighty work of Christ on our behalf and the work of the Spirit that that makes it all vivid in our daily walk day by day. Let's pray. We need 1 John. We need this truth about the Holy Spirit in our hearts and how he works and what he wants to do and how to know, how to recognize his working. None of us us sees all these things fully yet, but they should be there growing, developing. Well, and there'll come that time, John says, we'll be like him when we see him. We'll be like him then because suddenly, suddenly it will flash upon us how ridiculous all the distractions were. Continue to bless our church. We have need of you during these days. Strengthen all of our hearts. Keep us close to Jesus and close to each other and deep in your word. Keep us kind and gracious to one another with all the differing thoughts and views still make us like Jesus in the way we express them. In your name I pray and I thank you. 
Amen. Amen. Don't forget to join us tonight. Keep the Sunday night thing alive. 6.30, the heart that trembles at God's word will wrap up that topic tonight. God bless you, church. Love one another.